Take a second and think of a child in your life that you love. It could be your son or daughter, a relative, or one of your students. Now, imagine that child was locked in a detention center, away from family and friends, unable to be comforted by a hug, unsure of the future, and unprepared for the long-lasting psychological effects of incarceration. This is the reality for over 10,000 children in the United States right now. Today, we'll talk with 2018 National Teacher of the Year Mandy Manning about the Teachers Against Child Detention campaign that she started and the upcoming Teaching for Freedom that will take place in El Paso, Texas. Hello and welcome to Episode 10 of the Education for a Better World podcast. I'm Mike Soskal. And I'm Diane Smokorowski. Each week, we will bring you conversations with some of the most dynamic thought leaders in education. This week's episode is sponsored by GoToScience, a tool that allows our youngest learners the opportunity to learn by going on adventures without leaving their classroom. We know that education will be the driving force for a bright, optimistic future. On each show, we'll introduce you to innovative ideas, we'll stretch your thinking, and help you see ways to empower students to affect positive change in the world. We are thrilled that you are coming along with us on this journey. Let's dream big. So before we get started today, Diane and I have some housekeeping that we have to get to. We do. Talk about the World Read Aloud Project. In the project, you can sign up to have your students read their favorite picture book to another class. That's still going on. We'll make sure that we have the link in the show notes. You can find that also on our website. And the Virtual Valentine's Project, today is the last day for you to register. So if you would like to be involved where your students create digital valentines for another class that you eventually will Skype and get to meet new friends around the world, today's the day to join us. And we'd also like to announce that our winner for the January uh, giveaway of our year-long GoTo Science subscription goes to Amy Storer, who is an instructional technology coach in Texas. So congratulations, Amy. We'll make sure we get you hooked up. Today's guest is Mandy Manning, a teacher of newly arrived refugee and immigrant students in Spokane, Washington. She uses experiential projects to help her students process trauma, celebrate their home countries and cultures, and learn about their new community. For her exceptional work, Mandy was named the 2018 United States National Teacher of the Year. Mandy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about what this year has been like for you as National Teacher of the Year. Well, it's been kind of a whirlwind. I mean, I'm coming up towards the end here. So it started in about middle of May and I've been traveling ever since. Uh, Sometimes I'm traveling three cities in a week um, with breaks here and there, um, small breaks. And so it's been a very huge transition from what I'm used to. I'm used to being in the classroom every day and now I travel from community to community giving speeches, doing Q&As, and being on panels, and it's pretty crazy. Tell us a little bit about what what has uh, surprised you this year as you've gone around talking to teachers from around the country and meeting with policymakers. Um, The thing that always shocks me is when I go around and I meet with educators and I also have an opportunity to see schools in their communities, that oftentimes what I see in schools, not only their uh, layout, um, and how classrooms are designed, and uh, but also in instruction, I, I often see very similar things. And that is very surprising. It can be a little bit comforting because 
it's nice to go into an environment and know what to expect. But at the same time, I recognize being an educator who has taught various subjects in various communities um, and a variety of different types of students. Um, I recognize that every single community and school needs something different. And so the idea that we are creating schools that are very, very similar to one another, uh, regardless of the community or the state, um, that's a little shocking. Um, and, it, and it suggests to me that there's um, this, I've always known this, but, but we have this movement towards standardization that's been happening now for about 20 years. And uh, it's really taken hold. And I think that I'm hopeful that we are coming to a time where educators are really voicing um, what's happening in their classrooms. And we ourselves are recognizing that we need something different and demanding that we be able to take control and take the lead in policies. So hopefully next time, um, well, if I ever get an opportunity to travel around, I'll, I'll see unique things in the different schools because I know that each one needs something different and hopefully we'll be able to um, accommodate that at some point in the future. You've had an opportunity to work with students from all over the world. And as you've traveled around, what else have you noticed with students who are new Americans? Well, I, I noticed that uh, that is one area where almost every single school serves their English language learners differently. That said, in many circumstances, we are not doing our best for our English language learners. Uh, meaning oftentimes we'll have programs that, well, so, so sometimes there isn't really a program. Kids are just dropped into different classes with the hope that uh, that educator will be able to meet the needs of, of those students. And um, oftentimes that falls on the shoulders of the educator who's willing to, to make an attempt. Um, sometimes that's not the case. Uh, so <clears throat> in those cases, the students aren't necessarily getting the supports that they need in order to be successful as they move through uh, transitioning to studying and living in the United States. Um, and then there's some communities that have really strong uh, support programs, um, like, my, like my own community where we have a newcomer center where kids can have that opportunity to transition for a semester into studying and living in the United States. And then beyond that, we have a program that is like a gradual release of responsibility where the kids have tremendous amounts of, of supports and then as they move through the program, it becomes less and less and less and less and less until they are completely independent. And so we have most of our English language learners will, will end up graduating, um, which is great. Um, but then, you know, it's just hit or miss. Some, some communities have the abilities, resources and support to do that um, and some communities don't. And so um, that is one area where I would like to see a little bit more um, work to ensure that we are providing whatever that looks like, really strong system of support from the time that those kids arrive to the time when they um, are ready to graduate. Because that's the goal for all of our kids. And um, any kid that comes into our classroom, we want to make sure that they have that opportunity to reach their potential because every single kid has endless potential. And so, um, that that should be equally important for our English language learners. So as you're speaking, Mandy, and, and from knowing you and getting to know you over the course of the last year, I know that you're passionate about giving voice to teachers and students who otherwise 
couldn't use their own voice. That leads us to the project that you're now involved in and what's going to be going on uh, during President's Day weekend down in El Paso. So can you speak a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, so this past year has been pretty dramatic and traumatic for many of us, particularly those of us who work with immigrant and refugee students. Um, and I'm strictly speaking from a, an educator's point of view. Um, but shortly after I was named National Teacher of the Year uh, is when our nation decided to ramp up their some of the immigration policies. And one such policy was to separate families, so children from their, from their mothers and fathers, um, and then subsequently detain children uh, in detention centers across the nation. Um, and so this, you know, went on for a long time. And, and this was really close to me because I have had kids from all over the world in my classroom and some come as refugees others come on special different types of visas and then of course I've had some who uh, went through different means to arrive and live in the United States and so I do know that timing if timing were different some of my students would be those who were uh, put into detention centers and or separated from their families and so I spend a lot of time wondering what I could do, how I could use this tremendous platform that I have been um, given uh, to really speak out on behalf of these kids who can't speak out for themselves. And so I happened to go in September to, a, um, to an event in Alpine, Texas. And Alpine, Texas is located in West Texas, um, about three hours east of El Paso. And um, at the time, I wasn't 100% sure where all of these detention centers were located. So I started to do a little bit of a re research when I was there, hoping that maybe that there would be um, a detention center nearby that I could possibly try to visit or see for myself. And um, that's when I found out that Tornillo was, was uh, quite close. Um, now for me in Alpine, it was three hours away. So I couldn't um, go and see the facility. Well, when I went to El Paso to take my flight home, uh, that's when I realized that Tornillo is only about 10 or 11 miles outside of El Paso. So as I was berating myself for not being a better planner um, and for really being the advocate that I want to be, I was spoke to another teacher of the year, Amy, Amy T. Anderson from New Jersey, and I was telling her this experience and how upset I was. Um, and that's when I had the idea that all teachers of the year should get together and um, visit a detention center. And I didn't know what that was going to look like at the time. I didn't know if it would just be simply witnessing or some sort of a demonstration. And so as this idea began to percolate, I started to reach out to some other teachers of the year, one being Ivana Rosco, um, the New Mexico teacher of the year, who is, uh, who is an immigrant and um, is a DACA recipient, and um, a couple of other teachers of the year, Tara Bordeaux from Texas, um, John Dunjurovich from Ohio, and then Michael. Michael came on board really early on in this um, endeavor. And so eventually, I reached out to these teachers of the year and we started to make a plan and we realized that this was going to be something that we'd need additional help with. So I know some people who are heavily involved in some different organizations and I reached out to them and they have come on board and now what started as this one small idea that some teachers would come together and um, demonstrate or witness at one of these detention centers turned into Teachers Against Child Detention. 
um, and it is a huge undertaking. Um, we now have many, many people on board helping us. We have several partners, many of whom have already been working on child detention and um, are on the ground there in El Paso. So we do have a website, teachersagainstchilddetention.org, and all of our partners are listed so you can see who we've been working with. Um, so as it stands right now, we have a book drive going on where people can send books to kids in transition. So it goes from, goes to homes like Annunciation House, where it's a transitional place where kids uh, get out of detention and move on to their sponsors or to the family members that they are hopefully being reunited with. Um, and they get a book and hopefully a letter from someone here in the United States welcoming them. Uh, and then the big, the biggest part is the teach-in, which will happen on Sunday, February 17th, which is President's Day weekend. And we have community members and educators from across the nation who are going to be coming down to El Paso and doing a day-long teach-in where we will be talking about immigration, family separation, um, the trauma that goes with detaining children, particularly children who haven't done anything wrong, um, who simply weren't born here in the United States, um, and really demanding that we end this um, practice that we have been doing here in the United States for quite some time. Um, and I'm really excited to tell you that uh, former Secretary of Education John King will be there with us. We have representatives from the two largest um, educators associations, educator unions, AFT and NEA, National Education Association and American Federation of Teachers. They will both be present. Um, we have some important people who are going to be there and join us. But most importantly, I believe, are the educators who are coming together to stand up to this abuse and uh, demand that we change our policies and ensure that we are no longer detaining immigrant children. How can teachers help you? Because we have so many listeners from around the world. What are some things they can do to help you? Um, well, number one, right now we're seeking people to help financially. So we have a donate button on our website. Um, we have ongoing book drive. So educators can do book drives with their, um, with their classes or with their communities and uh, send books and there's information on the website about that as well. I would love for educators to make videos uh, bringing attention to this. There is a sample script on the website as well. Um, it says take action and then it says something about teachers and you click on that and then it takes you to the different things that educators can do to help out. So if everybody would upload videos to YouTube and share those links with us, that would be wonderful. Um, and then, of course, if you can join us down in El Paso, that's wonderful. We are having a full day of activities. Um, at this point, we have the um, spots all filled for the main stage, but we could always use more help on the ground. Um, plus, you know, it, it's really um, wonderful. The more people we can have out there demanding action, the better. Um, and then, of course, share it, share it, share it, share it all over social media, on Twitter, on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page teachers, page, teachers Against Child Detention, and we have our Twitter. And then, of course, you can always uh, tag me in anything, at Mandy Ray Writes, uh, because I share everything that I get tagged in. 
because um, it's really important. But yeah, share, 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 get people to come and be involved and make videos, take photos. Um, just share that, share that uh, you are also committed to the education of all students um, and that we can't be locking up kids for no reason um, because our three uh, taglines that we use are um, all children deserve to be in school, all children have endless potential and deserve to reach that potential, and ultimately all children deserve to be free. Before we continue, I'd like to give a shout out to the sponsor who's made today's episode possible. GoToScience is a tool that empowers pre-K through second grade students to learn through inquiry. Using the scientific process as the foundation, children love learning in every area of the curriculum. Check it out at go2science.com. If you'd like a free subscription, just send the podcast a picture during the month of February with a sign that says, I love the Education for a Better World podcast. You can send that to us through Twitter or Facebook. I'd also like to remind you that Diane and I would love to work with teachers in your school to create incredible learning experiences for students. You can learn about our workshops on the podcast website at ed4betterworld.com. Now let's get back to the show. Mandy, can you talk a little bit about the experiences of children who are in these detention centers? What do you know about how they're being treated, how they end up in those centers? I think there are a lot of people who may be aware that, that this is happening, but don't know enough details to have an informed opinion about it. Can you share a sure. little bit about what you know? Sure. So, um, so just for... So the Torneo Children's Detention Center did close down. Um, it was one of the largest ones and it closed down just recently. Um, but most of those kids went to sponsors and or to family members, but a good portion of them did go to other detention centers. Um, we currently have 11,400 um, kids in detention across the United States and there are several states, most of them um, along the coast and down along the southern border of the United States. Almost every single state within that, the coasts and the southern border have uh, at least one detention center. In Texas alone, there's over 5,000 kids still being detained in, in a variety of places. Um, so these detention centers, there is very limited, if any, access to anyone outside of the detention center. So that means that kids come in and kids go out um, and only the people who work within that facility know what's happening. Um, there have been some media outlets and some uh, po politicians who have been allowed in the facilities and from those visits we can ascertain that the kids are being kept. There's pictures all over the internet. You can find pictures anywhere. Um, they're mainly kept in cages, I guess. Would I don't have a better word for it. Uh, they have limited access to any kind of thing that would bring comfort. So their blankets are like foil blankets and things like that. So there's not, not a whole lot of comfort, physical comfort provided. They do get to go outside sometimes to play soccer. Um, they're, they're supposed to have access to education because that's a every single state has laws concerning the amount of of hours kids are supposed to be receiving, but the education that they are receiving uh, is very limited. It, you, it's, it's only, I think the last report that I heard was three hours they were receiving, but it was not always mandatory. 
Um, and there were things like workbooks, things like that. So they're not getting quality education. Uh, they don't have a lot of access to toys or things like that or books. So if you look at a, uh, like even a jail, it's like a prison where you keep criminals, they have access to thousands and thousands of books. And these kids who are being kept in these um, detention facilities don't even have access to books. Uh, there's limited effect, like you, people aren't, the adults in the facilities are told not to touch the kids. The kids are told not to touch each other. So there's little comfort happening. Um, I, I mean, it's just, I, and then if you think about how traumatic that would be for a child and how much damage that would do to them psychologically and emotionally, there's uh, so many different things that come from an experience like that. There's increased mental illness. Um, severe depression. Um, there's different disorders, concern like attachment disorders, where they are either too like overly affectionate when they get out, or very very distant and have separate and they have separation anxiety and all of these things. That's why uh, when they are reunited with their families, if they are reunited with their families, you often see a disconnect where the kid is struggling to. Be affectionate to their parent. Um, they have increased likelihood of dropping out of school uh, later. They just, I mean, it, it damages their potential. At the end of the day, it damages their potential and it damages their ability to connect with other human beings. You know, we hear things like children are resilient and this just proves that children are fragile. You referenced earlier the idea that there's a book and a letter welcoming these children. That resonates with me because the message that they're receiving where they are now is we don't welcome you, yet there could be this other wave of yes, we love people and we want to have you a part of our lives. Right. What thoughts do you have on how we can welcome all children to our classrooms from around the world? Well, I think that a genuine interest in all kids is important, especially if you're working in a school. So that means that anytime a kid comes into your classroom or your school community, you make sure that you welcome them and tell them how happy you are that they're here on, uh, learning with you. And, um, and that, that's every day. Like you should stand outside and you should be greeting your kids and making sure that 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 they know you see each and every one of them every single day um, <clears throat> and setting up opportunities to connect that doesn't have to be a really long intense activity it can be as simple as having a, a, a little five minute period of time at the beginning of the day where everybody is um, having an opportunity to connect and you are also taking that opportunity to connect with each kid over a, you know over that span of time that you're together um, I, I think people, I, I, I sometimes think that people believe that this, that this takes so much time and effort and you really have to plan it out. And really it, it doesn't. What it takes is um, being open to every single kid, not making assumptions about that kid, seeking to see their assets, not their deficits, and um, really being interested in who they are. And that doesn't take I mean, it's as much as, hey, how are you doing today? And really listening to them. Or, hey, I noticed that you uh, wear that Transformers t-shirt every day. Do you really like Transformers? Uh, yeah. So what, do you see them? Like, whatever. Asking questions and really being interested in who they are. Um, 
And sometimes that can be hard with a student who is an English language learner because you think, oh, they, we don't speak the same language. But really, you can still have a moment with a kid even if you're not communicating with English. You can communicate through body language. You can communicate through um, just really sitting together and being next to each other. Um, there's so many ways that we can show people we care about them. Yeah, when, when I think about the children that are in these detention centers, I, I think a lot about how one of, one of the things that I love about teaching and that I love about being around other teachers is that we love whoever comes into our classroom, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter where they came from or who their parents were. When they walk into our classroom, they're ours and, and we love them. And I think about these children who, by no fault of their own, ended up in this horrible situation. And they were in someone else's classroom previously. They were someone else's student. They belong, they have parents. They, they were someone else's kid. And regardless of the politics surrounding things, they're children who are, who are being thrown in incarceration, right? Like we would never, if, if we think of our own students being put into that situation, we would never stand for that. As a teacher, you, you can't believe that this is okay to have children thrown into, um, into this kind of a situation. It's just not healthy for kids. Can you talk, can you talk Mandy, a little bit about uh, just the, the politics? You had a great quote in Newsweek, uh, which we'll share in the show notes, talking about how you kind of see this not as a partisan issue. Of course, it's political, but maybe just talk about the politics of, of everything that's going on. So a lot of educators I've heard have been had difficulty with this because they are told that they can't be political in their classrooms or they can't be political in the messaging that they're sending, you know, even outside of our classrooms, because we're always held to this, you know, standard, um, because we are such a role model for our kids. But I don't view this as political. I view this as a human rights issue. And I believe that it has been politicized. And okay, there's political in the sense of, you know, red and blue. And then there's a political in the sense of, um, the, the political policies and things that have created the systems in which we are operating, right? So there's two different th ways that you can look at po politics because um, the people who are most impacted, the immigrant communities, the border, the borderlands, the different areas, they would say that this kind of thing is, is very political. But that's not the political I'm talking about. The political I'm talking about is the red and the blue where so many people have created this idea that immigration is either, you either believe it in a, the sense of how the red side believes it, or you believe in it in how the sense of the blue side believes in it. Um, and I don't see it as either red or blue. And I would hope that we wouldn't see this as red or blue because these are children we're talking about. And we are specifically focusing on children. So, it doesn't matter what your views are about what is happening at our, you know, our immigration policy. What we should never do is use children. We should never target children in our adult problems because they're kids and they don't have a say in what happens to them. So, so therefore, they don't have a say in where they are or where they're going or where they're from. That's just the lot that they have been given in life by being born wherever it is they were born or to whoever it is they were born to. Um, and so that's what this is about. This is about children. And this is about educators speaking out on behalf of children because as educators, we meet the needs of every single child, regardless 
of where they come from or the assumptions other adults make about them. We always seek to see the strengths that they bring into our classroom and we work very, very hard to ensure that we are helping them to believe in themselves and to reach their potential. And so what I said was that I would hope that people wouldn't see locking kids up as a Democrat or Republican issue. I would hope that they would see it as these are children. These are children that we are locking up who have done nothing wrong. And at the end of the day, we are teachers. We are teachers, we are mandatory reporters, and we care about the future and the present of every single child. And we cannot stand idly by and allow this to happen. We can't, because it's not okay to do this to kids. This is a human right, this is a civil right. Education is a civil right. Information is a civil right. Having health care is a civil right. And even our sustainable development goals is talking about that all children deserve an education. I applaud what you're, what all of everyone involved in this is doing to make a difference. And I love the fact that everybody can stand up and have a voice in this to make a difference. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So Mandy, we're running short on time and I have two more questions for you. What policy changes do you hope come out of the teach-in in El Paso? So, you know, like Torneo closed, but there's Homestead in Miami, which houses almost as many kids as were in Torneo. Um, so what I, what I would hope, I, I believe that the closing of Torneo um, suggests that our administration could close these uh, facilities should they so desire to do so. Um, so what I, what I would request is that the facilities close, that we figure out a very uh, short uh, period of time as we process people coming in, asylum seekers coming into our nation to help uh, you know, uh, that process. Because I recognize that you know, there has to be some sort of a situation where, where people come in and they're processed. Um, so, but no separating families. Um, adhere to the Flores um, ruling that says that people cannot be held longer than a certain period of time, especially children. Um, I would say that never have a child represent themselves in court. That's absolutely ridiculous. And um, uh, there could be more outreach to communities to engage them in helping to welcome new community members so that there could be a more transitional style of welcoming instead of this like, hey, we're going to lock you up and traumatize you. And then you're possibly still going to say, I mean, it's ridiculous. So if there could be something that's more humane where people are actually engaged in the processes about bringing people, because some people don't even know that there are these kinds of facilities in their communities. Um, and then also, I would really like there to be some sort of a ramification for private individuals who profit um, off of the imprisonment of other human beings. Really, that needs to be something that is very widely spread and understood. All of the connections and who's making the money. All right, Mandy, last question for you. Uh, and this Can is I add question. one thing? Yeah, one thing. And we need to make sure that every single child that comes into our communities has access to a quality education and is in our schools. So we ask uh, all of our guests at the end in one or two sentences, if you could change education in some way to make the world a better place, what would you do? 
Well, number one, I would make sure that both educators and students have a voice in creating and implementing policies for their schools and their school districts and their communities. Um, that's number one. And I don't mean just telling stories. I mean actually rolling up their sleeves and helping to develop policies and how those are implemented within their school communities. Um, and then second, I would want us to, let's do, I'll do three, sorry. So that's the first one. The second one is to um, shift our way of thinking from a deficit view to an asset view so that um, instead of as we're um, having new kids come into our classrooms trying to determine what they are deficient in instead really looking for what they what strengths they're bringing into our classrooms and building from there um, and then the third thing that i would really like to do is ensure that not every single classroom has to look or feel or be the same. I want there to be a recognition that every single classroom, every single school, and every single community needs something different and should be able to design their schools and their instruction based on those needs. And of course, that every single child has access, every child, no matter where they come from, who their parents are, any of that, has access to a quality public education in their neighborhood. Thank you for joining us today. Please visit our website at edforbetterworld.com. That's ed, E-D, the number four, betterworld.com for show notes and to learn more about inviting Mike and I to lead a workshop for your teachers. And don't forget to check the other podcast related goodies. We wanna thank Mandy Manning for being a guest on today's show. Credit for the music on the show goes to Midair Machine. Join us next week as we talk with award-winning teacher Estella Awima Church about how she uses drama, improv, and hip-hop to build bridges in her school and her community. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and that it gave you some new ideas and perspectives. Through education and action, we can create a better world. Until we're together again, continue to dream big. And affect positive change.